welcome to the Common Good Podcast, the podcast that showcases the very best of Glasgow Caledonian University and explains how the institution, its staff and its research benefits people and communities, both at home and overseas. My name is Craig Telfer and today I am talking with Dr Zoe Tegas, a Smart Technology Research Centre Research Fellow in Data Science about her study into how living near a canal can cut chronic disease. Zoe, this is great to get the chance to talk to you. Thank you very much for coming on to the show. Thanks for inviting me. I want to kick things off with quite a broad question. What is this study all about? Yeah, so we were interested in the if there was a health benefit of uh, blue spaces, specifically the canals in uh, the north of Glasgow, on uh, the risk of developing chronic disease. And uh, we focused on North Glasgow because that was an area where there's been intense uh, regeneration in revitalization of the canals in the past 20 years. So that, there's, there's, there's quite a lot to unpack then from this study. So we'll break it down into sections and we'll, we'll talk about the canals themselves. What were canals originally built for? What was their purpose? Um, they were hugely influential in the uh, industrial and uh, social growth of cities uh, around 200 years ago. Um, but then with the deindustrialization of the UK, uh, they were left uh, and they, they've become these sort of derelict assets. They've completely closed. They're not navigable anymore. So, yeah, I really see canals as being sort of vital trade routes and then becoming these sort of ignored and forgotten relics. So how much does it cost then to regenerate a canal? There's been about 500 million pound investment since 2001 in canal regeneration along the, the Forth and Clyde in north of Glasgow. So that's the part of the canal that we were interested in. And this is part of a 1.5 billion pound investment across Scotland. But um, this is not all money from Scottish canals because it also comes from public and private and third uh, sector investment. So it's a huge amount of money. I'm thinking of the canals that are close to where I used to stay in Falkirk and of course that the canals link the, the Kelpies and the Falkirk wheel and in my own experience the canals were brilliant for, for walking along you know it's a like nice summer's night they, they, they look fantastic is that something that people will have experienced then in the north of Glasgow with the regeneration that took place there? I think so. And I think as you, you know, especially in the last two years, uh, lots of people have been having had to rely more on their sort of local natural environments, especially in cities. So I think it's great that in the north of Glasgow, they had this, this, you know, this piece of nature, mm -hmm. blue space and green space to go for a walk, take their dog out, go for cycles and things like that. So yes, definitely. When you were doing this study, why did you choose to focus on the north of Glasgow? Because the north of Glasgow is an area of relatively high deprivation. We know that Glasgow has problems with areas of very high deprivation anyway. And it's also a, a, a city that's notorious for having a very poor health. And more importantly, it's an area of really sort of wide health inequalities that have only widened over the years. So the difference between life expectancy between men in the 10% least deprived and 10% most deprived areas is around 15 years. So I think it's a, it's, a, yeah, it's a major difference. And I think also for women, it's 11 or 12 years. So, and, and, and that area in the north of Glasgow is an area where most of re the regeneration occurred. So that's why we focused on that region. Well, then tell me, how did you carry out this study? So we used data that was already available. 
So we used routine healthcare data, specifically primary care data um, that are held in the NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde safe haven. So it's basically health records that uh, contain for, for anyone who, who's registered with the GP, which is almost everyone in Scotland, it contains everything from drugs that they are on, body uh, mass index measurements, records of people being hospitalized, diagnosis, all sorts of things. And so it's really a, a really rich but underused resource for research. And so what we did, we gained access to that massive data set and then spent months trying to make sense of it all because... It requires a bit of detective work <laughs> um, because it's not necessarily these data sets, they're, they're just generated as part of routine clinical practice, but they're not always, you know, it's not always clear what the variables refer to and, you know, so and, and, and how they are structured. There's, of course, lots of missing data and, you know, typos, things like that. So it was a lot of work to kind of, you know, clean, clean the data and make sense of it. And then we extracted, using a new algorithm, we extracted information about chronic disease diagnoses. And so we did that for the period of, for everyone that lived in the area in 2000, we, we extracted information on chronic diseases and new chronic diseases for a period of 18 years until 2018, which was like, you know, that spans a large chunk of the regeneration along the canals. And then what we did is we, we looked at people living within 700 meters from the canal, uh, sort of a straight line distance. And we compared that to people who were living between 700 and 1400 meters from the canal. And then we compared the risk of developing a new chronic disease between people living closer and living slightly further away from the canal. So that was our study in a nutshell. <laughs> so what did you find then when you compared the two uh, data sets? I always need to look at the numbers here because I don't know it by heart, <laughs> but we found it in areas of high socioeconomic deprivation. So that, uh, so the most deprived areas in that region in North Glasgow around the canal, we found that living within 700 meters from the canal was linked to a lower risk of a range of chronic health conditions. It was a so living closer to the canal was associated with a 15% lower risk of developing cardiovascular disease hypertension and stroke, it was associated with a 12% lower risk of developing diabetes and a 10% lower risk of incident, developing incident obesity. And we did not, the only chronic disease that we looked at where we didn't find such an effect was a chronic pulmonary disease. And so, yeah, we didn't find a similar effect, similar sort of, you know, health promoting effect for people living in less deprived regions. So it really seemed to be that those people who were living in the area of the canal, who were living in the most deprived regions, benefited from the canal the most. So can you make a definitive link then that people who stay close to canals are healthier? Nope. <laughs> 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 if only. I mean, for starters, this is, a, this is an observational study. We did not find uh, a causal link. That's not, you know, we're not able to... to, to uh, say anything about, you know, blue space regeneration causes mm -hmm. <laughs> a reduction in developing in the risk of developing chronic disease. So we see an association. We see that this is happening. That we know that there's the regeneration occurring. We hear from people in stakeholder meetings and things like that, that a lot of people feel the positive effect, uh, think that it must have a health promoting effect. But now we have some data to back this up. It's a piece of the puzzle, but I think it's an important piece of, of the puzzle that sort of adds to the, 
the increasing evidence showing that natural environments, especially in cities, can improve health of communities. So what can we do with this research then? How can we put it into a practical context? I'm not sure if you are aware of the, um, the blue prescribe or the, na the na uh, nature prescribing initiatives in no, Scotland. No, what, uh, what, what are those? So basically that's the idea that rather than immediately prescribing pills, for example, for chronic diseases, that you also prescribe, you know, some people could be referred to therapy or counseling, things like that, but that there's another thing that you could prescribe potentially, and that is spending time in nature, going for walks or uh, engaging physical activity in blue or green environments. So that's a nice idea. And obviously this type of evidence sort of feeds into that, uh, that idea. I think it's important to, obviously, chronic disease is really, really costly and also has a detrimental effect on the quality of life of people. So I think it shows government and, and other, you know, people, people that decide where to, how to distribute the money. It shows them that these types of investments, investing in natural environments, um, in, in cities, especially in areas with a high degree of deprivation, but might help improve health. And so it might, uh, perhaps it's cost effective or not. I'm not sure that, you know, obviously we need more research, but I think it's really, uh, really important uh, to show that this is something that we can do about the environments to promote good health. You tell me about the team of people you worked with in this study. Uh, we received funding from uh, the data lab and, um, and we worked closely together with Scottish Canals. The principal investigator of the study, uh, the person who acquired the funding together with Scottish Canals was Professor Sebastian Chastain uh, from the School of Health and Life S uh, Sciences. Together with Scottish Canals, they came up with this uh, <laughs> research idea. But we also worked with people, so I'm based now in, uh, in uh, Skibi, in uh, the Smart Technology Center, and so it's a cross-school initiative. And so we also worked with a professor in data science, Professor Gordon Morrison, because obviously this is a data project ultimately, but it has wide implications for health. So I would see it as a health data science project, really. We also have as co-authors two PhD students from the health school, uh, Neve Smith and uh, Michaelis Georgiou. And uh, they both do a PhD to do with uh, natural green environments, uh, natural, sorry, green and blue environments. And um, yeah, so they were involved in the study as well help with data analysis and things like that. It's a really interesting study and it really sounds like it ties in with GCU's mission as a university for the common good. Yeah, it, it links in with some of the sustainable development goals uh, for starters, obviously uh, improving health and well-being, but also sustainable cities and communities, reducing health inequalities. So I think it, it ticks all the boxes. It's and I think it's a good example of I like the study and take and 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 doing the study because you know it really is a good example of repurposing data and reusing existing data. We did not have to collect it, they were just there and to use it towards you know the common good and to make a difference to uh, society. So I think it's so that's kind of that was the real attraction for for me for working on this project. What are the next steps for the project then? One project that I would like to do, we did not have quite enough data for this particular, for this particular study. We had like, you know, we, we looked at uh, data from around 140,000 people. So it looks like a lot of data, but when you really want to sort of zoom in on specific assets. So what was it that, why did we find these effects? Was it the soft and hard surfacing of the towpaths along the canal? 
or was it more like uh, the bridges and the connections with uh, the city center uh, under the M8 and so on, or was it the community events like the Canal Festival? You know, we don't really know which assets are worth investing in the most in the future from a health perspective. So that would be really interesting to find out. And, and we can do that if we have more data. Now we could uh, find a way to find data of other cities or maybe the whole of Scotland. So there's lots of things that we can do. It's just, you know, we, we, we have a lot of questions also with these types of data, with these, these types of studies, there's always the issue that, you know, you, you don't, you just have to work with what you have. And there's a lot of, and we work with anonymized data sets, which means that a lot of information about individuals that we're interested in and that likely play a role in these associations that we found, we, we don't have access to. So we would like to know, were they smokers? Did they have dogs that they wanted to take out? Mm -hmm. How much physical activity did they engage in? But also environmental factors. What was the pollution in the areas that they lived in? And just because they lived nearby the canal, did they actually use it? So there's lots of other information that you have to get in different ways and you want to tie all of that together. So lots to do. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. That's really interesting. Good luck for the future. But let's look at your own background, Zoe. Can you talk a bit about your journey in academia and how you arrived at GCU? Uh, my background is in psychology. I have a PhD from the University of Amsterdam in uh, psychophysiology and cognitive neuroscience. And then I, I uh, moved to Glasgow afterwards to do a postdoc uh, at the University of Glasgow. And this is the first time that I started working with patients. These were outpatients with newly diagnosed dementia. This was still um, EEG, looking at brain activity research. Um, I then saw a, a, a new post being advertised at the University of Edinburgh, and that was something completely different, working with hospital patients with dementia and delirium, developing software applications for helping diagnosing delirium. And I worked there on a, on, on a range of projects for over 12 years, and I, I'm still employed there one day a week. At the same time, my work started to have a stronger, I've, I've always, the, the, I suppose, the line through my career has always been data. I'm a data cruncher like that. So especially in the, in the context of health. So that's what I was doing. But I had like brief stints at GCU. I worked on a stroke project in the health school uh, back in 2014, 2015. Um, and then when this position, and then I worked on the canals project, and then when the position came up for uh, a research fellow in data science in the Smart Technology Center, I uh, went for it and uh, was very fortunate to get a position. <laughs> so it's not straightforward, but uh, it's all about data for me. <laughs> I know that this canal project, there are so many different branches that it can go off on, but are you working on anything else at the moment? Anything else that's coming up in the future? Yeah, I'm working on... Uh, a lot of different projects. <laughs> One project that, that is about to happen is we have funding to work on a project that's a bit more, I suppose, uh, you know, hardcore coding project that has to do with text summarization, creating lay summaries from clinical trial reports using natural language processing. So that's a type of artificial intelligence, you could say. There's just a lot of fun projects. Definitely, certainly sounds like there's enough to keep you busy, but Zoe, that was excellent. Thank you very much for talking to me today and good luck with the stuff that's coming up in the future. Thank you. I'd also like to thank everyone for tuning into this episode and I hope you'll be joining us again very soon when we'll be in conversation with another member of the GCU community about their work. In the meantime, please subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much everywhere else. So what are you waiting for? If you could also leave us a five-star review, that would be very helpful too. Until the next time, I've been Craig Telfer, and this has been The Common Good Podcast. Mm -hmm.